Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here with us. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday morning. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, grateful for you spending some of your Sunday morning with us. Easter is just two weeks away, and so we're getting ready for that. I want to encourage you to be thinking and praying about someone you can invite to come and join us on Easter. And our our guys are going to pass out, uh, pass a bucket across, and inside the bucket is a copy of our cards, our invite cards. If you've given all of yours away or if you have no idea where yours are, reach in that bucket and grab a couple of these. There's three of them in there. And uh, I want to challenge you not to think too hard or think a lot about this because you and I cross paths with people all week long. We have neighbors, we have coworkers, we have people that serve us and wait on us. Uh, we have people that just cross our paths. So I want to encourage you to take these with you and be passing these out and inviting individuals to join us. Uh, we also want to encourage you to go to our website, cocalico.church, and sign up for a seat. You say, why do we want you to sign up for a seat? Because we want to make sure we have a seat for everyone. So uh, there'll be sign-ups for all three of those services. Um, if you have the flexibility in this service, generally our fullest service, to go to the first or the third, that would help us out immensely. So we're looking forward to a couple weeks of celebrating the greatest story that's ever been told, the story of Jesus' resurrection. Well, it felt like I'd been punched in the gut. My freshman year in college, Bill and I met. We were in the same major, and so that meant we were in classes together. We lived in the same dorm, which meant we pulled pranks on the guys in our dorm together. Our senior year, we were actually roommates uh, we started talking during that year as we were in this class on church planning. What would it be like for us to plan a church and be able to do it together? And see, Bill and I, we were the yin and yang. We were complete opposites. We were night and day. Um, I, went to be- I finished all my work in time, got it done in advance, went to bed early. Bill crammed to the last possible minute, stayed up late, and um, we were just as opposite as opposite could be. But we started to dream about our strengths complementing each other and using these gifts and abilities to make a difference for God. We were in each other's weddings after we got through college and settled into a trailer park living across the street from each other as we went to grad school. We worked together during the summers, and I was always looking for more mowing lawns, and I was always looking for more work to do, and Bill wanted to know when we were done so he could go fishing. That's kind of the way things were with the two of us. I finished grad school early and relocated to this area, and we continued to talk and brainstorm and dream about the idea of planting a church together becoming a reality. Uh, We got CCC started, and about six months after we got it started, they moved down into this area. Bill was gifted musically and loved working with students. Our wives loved working together with kids. Um, I enjoyed preaching and leading, and it seemed like a match that God could use in significant ways. At that time, Bill was working full-time, and we talked about how soon, we would get, how soon it would take for us to get to the point where we'd be able to bring him on so we could work together full-time in the ministry that God was establishing here. One Saturday morning, I picked up Bill as we were on our way to a golf tournament that we had organized as an outreach into our community. And on our drive, Bill told me that he had taken a full-time position as a youth pastor in California. I felt like I had been punched in the gut. When did you have the carpet pulled out from underneath you? And you weren't expecting it at all. A friend you trusted. A spouse you had committed and pledged your love to. An employer you had worked hard for. An employee you had bent over backwards to train and develop and teach them skills. A child you did everything for that you could ever imagine. 
parent who was supposed to be there for you, and now they were gone. One minute there's hopes and dreams, and the next minute they're all dashed. Shock, disbelief, anger, despair, grief, abandonment, betrayal, and then you're all alone. What happened? What happened? Someone came along with a better offer, more money, a better relationship, a better opportunity. The grass was a little bit greener. The truth is, most of us, if not all, have faced one of these kinds of experiences in our lives. And today, as we continue our study in the book of Mark, we're going to see Jesus facing this same situation. But Jesus wasn't blindsided by it. Jesus wasn't caught off guard by it. Jesus knew it was actually coming. And when the reality of it occurred, he raised the question about what a relationship with him is really like. The series we're in is entitled Simply Jesus, and it's a series from the Gospel of Mark. Mark records accounts given to him by Peter, who is one of Jesus' disciples. Mark records these events in a fast-paced, tight story because he wants us to understand who Jesus is. He wants us to understand that one day he would be king, but before he would become king, he was going to have to suffer on a cruel cross. And last week, we cracked the door open on that window of suffering known as his final week. And his, his final week, as Mark records this, is longer than any of the other gospel writers. And we began by looking at his suffering in a place called Gethsemane, as he did something that all of us can relate to. He asked God to relieve his suffering, and we've all been there. And yet in the midst of asking God to relieve his suffering, asking God to relieve his pain, he did something that most of us have rarely ever done. In the midst of that suffering, he asked God to take it away, just like we would. But what else do we do? We negotiate with God. We bargain with God. And then when God doesn't come through, like a five-year-old child, we stomp our feet and we say, God, you didn't come through for me. You didn't listen to me. You weren't here for me. And we act as if God doesn't care. God doesn't know about our struggles. Maybe that God doesn't even exist at all. But Jesus is something radically different. Jesus said this, he said, I'm willing to follow your plans, God. He said it this way, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And as he agonizes over this and he submits to the plans that God has for his life, those closest to him are not even present, they're not even there, and the struggle becomes more intense. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 14, you can grab the Bibles in your seats, it's page 826, or follow along on your wireless device. And what's happening in the story is we dive into the middle of it just to say what happened the previous week. As Jesus had been with his followers in this place called Gethsemane, an olive grove, a grove of olive trees. And he'd been there wrestling with his father, asking God for another way because he knew what was about to come. And he said to his disciples, he said, guys, can you just watch and pray? Watch and pray. And they couldn't do it. They, do, they dozed off. And then he came and woke them up again. He said, guys, can you just watch and pray? And they dozed off again. And a third time he finally said to them, guys, guys, can you stay with me here? Can you stay with me? And he returned the third time in verse 41. And he said, are you still sleeping? Enough. He said, it's time. 
it's time. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. The betrayal was about to happen, and suddenly the disciples were on their feet and and awake as Jesus says to them, let us go, here comes my betrayer. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was on the horizon. He knew what was about to come down the pike. And who was coming? One of his disciples, one of his own, a man by the name of Judas. You see, earlier Judas had been with Jesus earlier in the chapter in verse 18. While they were reclining at the table, they were eating. They were celebrating the Last Supper. Jesus said to his whole group of disciples, one of you will betray me, one of you who is eating with me. He announced what was about to happen. You say, what was going on? Did they know this? Was it pre-planned? Was it premeditated? Matthew tells us the rest of the story. One of the twelve, the one called Judas, previous to this meal, had gone to the high priest. And he asked him, he says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And Mark captures those same words when, he, when Jesus says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered. So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver was the amount of money that you would trade if you were purchasing a slave. So how did they know that how did Judas know that the chief priests and the rulers were looking and trying to capture Jesus? It had become, I believe, common knowledge. Jesus had, up, had turned over the apple cart so much that they were at that point saying, we're not going to handle this any longer. We're not going to put up with this. And Judas saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity to trade something. Trade something. And later at the dinner, Jesus announced someone who would betray him. And the disciples wondered, who was it? Who was it? Who was going to betray Jesus? And Jesus says this. He says, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then he dipped a piece of bread and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And it doesn't say the disciples went, or I knew it. I knew it. It doesn't tell us that. It's kind of puzzling. And it makes me wonder if Jesus dipped it in this and then Judas, to throw off attention to himself, dipped it as well and passed it on and passed it on and passed it on. Matthew tells us that Judas leaned over to Jesus. doesn't tell us how quietly or how softly. I would suspect softly. And he said to Jesus, is it me? Why would Judas do that? Did Judas know it was him? Absolutely. He already had his money. He already had his money. Maybe to ease his conscience? I don't know. I don't know. But Jesus goes on to say to him in John's account, he says, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charged the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas has taken his bread, he went out. So Jesus says, what you're about to do, do quickly. And the disciples didn't think anything of it because Judas was always slipping off to pay for something, to get money for something, to give money to someone, collecting money from everyone. That was just what Judas did. And so they didn't think anything of it. And it appeared that Jesus' actions were somewhat cryptic. He knew what was about to occur. He knew what was going to betray him. He knew Judas was about ready to do it. But no one else seems to know. And so Judas disappears from the group. 
and suddenly he reappears at Gethsemane. And as he reappears, he reappears with a mob, a crowd, with swords and clubs. As it says in verse 43, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Why did Jesus bring a mob? Was he expecting a fight? Was he expecting that these twelve followers of Jesus and maybe a group of other followers and some women were going to put up a fight for him? Judas didn't really know. But the chief priests and the leaders, they weren't taking any chances. And so in a dimly lit night, maybe just the moon illuminating the sky, as they're there in this grove of trees, Peter had to, excuse me, Judas had to make an arrangement of how he was going to indicate that Jesus was the one. And he said to them, he said, I will give him a kiss, indicating that he is the one. The one I kiss, arrest him and lead him away under guard. You see, a kiss was a sign of honor and respect. It was something you did when you greet someone who is meaningful to you. And in that culture in that day, even the men, they would kiss one another on one cheek or the other. And if it was someone of great honor and significance, they might bow down before him and they might kiss their hand. You can do that in the lobby with me afterwards if you want. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I forgot my special ring today. So. And that's what they would do. That was a sign of reverence, of honor. Think about this for a moment. Affection followed betrayal. The worst kind of treatment possible. But Judas decided in that moment that something was more important, something was more valuable than following Jesus. He decided that something would benefit more him in the him would benefit him more in the end, the cash, than following Jesus. Jesus. And if I was to survey this room this morning and ask you, how many of you think in the course of your lives that if you were put in a situation, you would betray Jesus? Most of us probably would say, I don't think it would happen to me. But if I were then to ask you, how many of you have found yourself putting something else in front of or in the place of Jesus by your actionings determining or de- communicating that something is worth more value to you than Jesus? Now how would you answer? Are your hobbies more important than your relationship with Jesus? Is your job more important than your relationship with Jesus? How about your ministry where you serve? Is that more important than Jesus? What about your kids? Are they more important to you than Jesus? How about your spouse? Is he or she more important to you than Jesus? What about your retirement plans? What about your workout routine? Put whatever you want in that blank and ask yourself that question. Is this more important to me than Jesus? Because if you think of Judas betraying the one who was about to give his life for him, and you think of Judas with disdain and disgust when that comes to your mind, be careful to judge him too quickly. Be willing to pause and ask yourself the question, what might I have traded for Jesus? Well, Jesus' disciples, they didn't take this sitting down because they leaped to their feet after Judas 
said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And, Je- and they seized Jesus and they arrested him. And then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And the drama continues. You say, who had swords? Well, Matthew tells us that Peter grabbed two swords. And Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. We don't really need those. But Peter said, I'm taking them along anyways. And so Peter, who acted quickly, who spoke quickly, who did things without thinking all the time, grabbed the sword, slashed the sword, cut the servant of the high priest's ear off. And then Luke, the doctor, records for us that Jesus picked that ear up and healed it instantly. He then turns to the crowd and he says this. He says, am I leading a rebellion, guys? Is that what I'm all about? Did you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Is that, is that what this is all about? The word rebellion there pictures a, a guerrilla movement using violent tactics to overthrow someone in power or authority. Think of a drug cartel. Think of a military dictator who forces his way into power. And the rebellion show of force is because they want to move to a different way. They're saying the way things are going is not working. It's not a solution. It's not what we want. We want a different way. Think of the pictures that you may have seen on the news recently down in Venezuela of the large crowds of people who are saying, we don't want to live this way any longer. We want a different way. But the truth is, Jesus never talked about a rebellion. Jesus never denounced Herod. Jesus never put down Rome. Jesus never organized a militia. Not once did he take up a sword and fight. So he wasn't organizing a rebellion. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus may have been leading a revolution. And a revolution of the heart. Because he was following people. To follow another kingdom, wasn't he? To follow another king, wasn't he? The kingdom of God, where he was going to rule and he was going to reign. Peter didn't really get it. He didn't get it. Because he pulled out his sword and he was there quickly to defend Jesus and to stand up for him. He was there to seek justice, to seek fairness. And I would have, think I might have done the same. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not a kingdom of this world. It's a completely different kingdom. He said, this is what my kingdom is about. My kingdom is about, I'm going to put others ahead of myself. My kingdom is about me loving my enemies, not wiping out my enemies. My kingdom is about serving and sacrificing for others, not them serving and sacrifice for me. My kingdom is not about repaying evil with evil, but overcoming evil with good. My king is not, kingdom is not about me taking control and making sure my world is perfect. My kingdom is about letting go of control and putting my faith and trust in God and trusting he's going to walk through life with me. My kingdom is not about me pursuing power and success. My kingdom is about giving it up. My kingdom is about celebrating my weaknesses, not hiding them. My kingdom is about being okay with living with less, not finding ways to get more. My kingdom is all about suffering, being normal and not avoided, but welcomed and embraced. And in my kingdom, rejection is going to happen. You see, Jesus said, I'm leading a revolution, not a rebellion. And it's one of the heart. So what did Jesus' followers do when he says this to them? 
when he said to them, every day I was with you teaching and you didn't arrest me. What's going on now, guys? What do you think his followers did? Do you think his followers put away their swords, lined up behind Jesus and cheered him on and said, yes, that's what we're all about. Yes, you're the king. You're the one. Yes, you're the one we're going to follow. Is that what his disciples did? Everyone deserted him and fled. Not just the women deserted him and fled. Everyone deserted him and fled. Not just the not very committed said, ah, oh, this is, I, I'm not going to prison for this thing. That's, that's a little too much. You know, I'll, I'll eat the free bread, you know, and, and I'll enjoy that. And, and you healed me when I was sick. I'm good with that, but I'm not going to prison for this. Even his own disciples, the ones who said just earlier, wasn't it Peter who said, even if you are going to die and suffer, I'll go with you. I'll go with you, right? Unfortunately, that's not what happened. They ran away in fear. And Mark records a story of one more unfortunate guy. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind, and he literally lost everything. No idea who this guy was. Mark records it for us. Some commentators suggest that this was John Mark himself, who's not one of the 12 disciples, but was a follower of Jesus. Was hanging around on the outskirts. Was there around him. And he literally lost everything. A few weeks ago, Roddy spoke and he said this. He says, following Jesus will cost you something. Will cost you something. It might cost you power, position, comfort, ease, influence. But he said, not following Jesus is going to cost you what? Everything. Everything. You know what happened to Judas? He got his money he betrayed Jesus. They took Jesus away. He's tried. He's found guilty. And Judas realizes what he's done. And Judas goes to the high priest and the, lead, and, the, and the religious leaders. He says, what I've done, I shouldn't have done this. He said, here, take the money back. And I suspect maybe he said, is there any way I can buy his freedom? Is there some way? And they said, no. Judas went and hung himself. And it cost him everything. Following Jesus will cost you something. Not following Jesus will cost you everything. And Mark, earlier, Jesus had said this, What does it profit a man if he should gain the world but lose his own soul? And so there's a choice in front of you. The choice is in front of you. You can join the revolution. You can say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. The truth is, to do that today, in Reinholds, Pennsylvania, at CCC, it really doesn't cost you a whole lot. It doesn't. I mean, what do you mean, John? You can choose to follow Jesus, and we hope that if you haven't, that you will. Say, I want to put him in charge of my life. I want to, I want to get out of the driver's seat. I'm going to get to the side. I'm going to let him be in charge of my life. I'm going to give my life to him. But what's it cost you, really, to come here to church on Sundays? A little bit of time to serve, 
little bit of time, some sacrifice, minimally. Does it cost you to give eh, a little bit of money? Truth is, it doesn't cost you anything. But I want to suggest to you today that Jesus is saying to you, what are you putting in the place of me? What are you trading for me? And are you willing to give that up? And that's what the cost of following me is for you today. There's something for every one of us. That Jesus is tapping you on the shoulder, he's prodding at your heart, and he's saying, will you give this up for me? Will you give it up for me? Because you have another option. And the other option is you can walk or you can run away. But the truth is, in the end, it's going to cost you everything. And you may never get a second chance. You may never get a second chance. Hoda Mathuna has been in the news recently. She's this young woman who was born in New Jersey, grew up in Alabama as an American Muslim. When she was 19 years old, she started exploring radical Islam on the internet, left home, took a plane to Syria to join ISIS. And she subsequently married an ISIS fighter and gave birth to a child and has an 18-month-old son by the name of Adam. She's currently living in a camp in northern Syria where she's being detained by U.S.-backed Kurdish militia. She's contacted U.S. military officials and said, I know what I did was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I'm remorseful for what I've done. I'll pay for my crimes. Can I have a second chance? And our government is saying, we don't think you deserve a second chance. You made a decision of who you're going to follow. And we're not going to give you a second chance. Well, that may sound like an extreme story. It pictures the crossroads that's in front of every single one of us. In all of our lives, every day, Jesus is saying to you and to me, will you join the rebellion and follow me? And if you do, you're going to have to give something up. You're going to have to give something up to follow me. But if you say no, it's not worth it. The price is too high. I'm not willing to do that. It could cost you everything in the end. And you may not get a second chance. And so the question for you to ask yourself today is what am I trading for Jesus? What am I trading for Jesus? And am I willing to give that up? Because following Jesus will cost you something. But not following Jesus will cost you everything. We bow our heads with me as we pray. God, the story of Judas, I think in most of our minds, seems to be an extreme story. One that's kind of out there. A guy that betrays Jesus, gives Jesus up for some money. And most of us in our heart and in our thoughts and in our mind and our life experiences say, I would never do that. Why would he do that? When he saw everything that Jesus did, he heard everything about Jesus. And yet how often in my story, 
and in my journey. And in each of our stories, in each of our journeys, is Jesus standing there and we said, no, Jesus, you're good, you stay here. I have something else that's more important and that's what I'm going to trade for you today. Tragically for Judas, there was no second chance to turn his life around. But Jesus offers to each one of us today in this moment an opportunity to meet him. An opportunity in our heart and in our thoughts and our minds. Maybe it's to take that first step and say, you know, I need to give everything to Jesus. I need to turn my life over to him. I've never done that before. I come to church and I'm a religious. I've never said, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. And maybe today that's the words that need to fill your heart and mind. Jesus, today I'm giving my whole life to you. Or maybe you've done that in the past and Jesus is tapping on the, your heart and saying, but you're holding tightly to this. Your fists are wrapped tightly around it. And you don't realize it, but you've traded me for this. And so, God, I pray that in each one of our hearts, in each one of our stories, where each one of us is at, we would recognize the place that God has brought us to today. A place to meet Him and hear what He has to offer to us today. In your name we pray. Hear the voice of love that's calling There's a chair that waits for you And a friend who understands Everything you go through You keep standing at a distance In the shadow of your shade But there's a light of hope that's shining Won't you come and take your place And bring it all to the table For all your sin, all your sorrow, and your sadness, there's a Savior and He calls, bring it all to the table. He can see the weight you carry, the fears that hold your heart. Through the cross you've been forgiven You're accepted as you are So bring it all to the table There's nothing he ain't seen before For all your trials, all your worries and your burdens 
is the Savior and He calls, bring it all to the table. that Jesus has for us. God, you've offered that to us and you've invited us in. We've sh- we showed up here today. And no matter what the past is, no matter what the story is, no matter what we've traded be- before, you invite us in to meet with you today. God, help us to be willing to take that invitation be given a second chance to give something up to follow you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for being here with us this morning. I want to ask you if you would take out those communication cards and um, if you're our guest, as you heard Angie say earlier, if you uh, fill that out, we have a gift that we want to send to you regular attenders just helps us know that you're here and gives you a way to connect with us so our guys are going to come forward and uh, pass the buckets and if you could help them out and collect them from everyone this morning that would be great you know I'd love to tell you that things worked out great with my friend Bill that uh, we had an opportunity to serve together and make a difference for God's kingdom and and we didn't. God chose to keep us in different places, different parts of the country, serving Him, using our gifts and abilities in different settings and in different places. And so I don't know what your story is like this morning and where God has brought you this morning, but I hope you realize that no matter where He has brought you to, that there's an opportunity to have a second chance. God says, I'll meet you wherever you are, no matter what your story, no matter what your pain. If you were the betrayed, if you were the betrayer, I'll meet you there, no matter what. Because I want to invite you to have a relationship with me and follow me and for your life to be changed forever. Thank you so much for being here with us. We're honored by your presence. We hope you have a great day. 
invite someone to be here with us in two weeks. We'll see you next Sunday. Come on in, take your place. There's no one who's turned away. All you sinners, all you saints, come right in and find your grace. Come on in, take your place. There's no one who's turned away. All you sinners, all you saints, come right in and find your grace. Bring it all to the table. It's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your sin, all your sorrow, and your sadness. There's a Savior and He calls, bring it all to the table. There's a song in my soul, and I feel